an all-new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show. Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream. Bonjour. There he is. The man, the myth, the legend. There he is. There you have it. How you guys doing? <laughs> Live in Good. front of your naked steaming eyes. It's Steve I, everybody. <laughs> hey, I'm going to just real start here. We're going to get this to taped, but... I, I once interviewed Steve at a G3 concert in the back of the bus at the uh, Bell Center in Montreal. Oh, nice. You're that guy. I'm the guy. <laughs> and, and haven't you been barred ever since, Mitch? No, but uh, <laughs> I, I have to say, for for the whole interview, I thought, wow, he's he's so rude. He's not looking at me. He's not talking to me. He's just playing on his computer. And when the interview ended, he said, oh, I just wrote a new song. And I went, what? And he flipped the computer around, and he had actually been typing in notes while he was doing and i was like wow you were composing during the interview that's insane he, well, he was composing what, during the interview that's what it, you call myopic yeah <laughs> what a rude man i was no but i but i thought that and then i saw what you did and i went wow yeah <laughs> he's what an amazing character so so wow. I, I was actually i walked away completely impressed by that and thought oh. wow what a guy well, you'll have to excuse me right now because I'm actually composing. <laughs> <laughs> Steve's over here. He's like, yeah. It was just amazing because you then on the Mac, you had a little MacBook or whatever. You, you hit play and it played the whole song. And I got to hear it and I went, wow, that was in his head as we were talking. Wow. Like, what, uh, uh, when was that? It was a G3 show. So Okay, so I was preparing scores that were uh i was planning on recording in uh, yeah. holland yeah it's it, yeah. it's got to go back to like 2003 mitch you know oh, what yeah. he was he was he was actually taking the cadence of every word you said and basically orchestrated <laughs> it so you should technically get writing credit for that i mean i'm just gonna throw that out there no but anyway <laughs> it, was, it was just the most amazing thing especially after he hit the play button and i just he just went <laughs> wow i was reharmonizing anyway. you yeah. yeah. Well, perfect. Anyway, <laughs> uh, there you go. I just wanted to start off with that because it was one of the most brilliant moments I've yeah. ever had yeah. in a uh, in an interview. <laughs> Thank you. Well, look, we're here to talk about Inviolate, brand new record from Steve I. It's available now wherever you get your music. I love the fact that on Apple Music, you actually have an animated album cover. The uh, the lights and the guitar light up and everything. It's really cool. I was checking yeah. it out last night. And um, this this record, Steve, I got to say, it's uh, by the way, it's so great to see you again. We met a couple of years ago in Montreal and it was an awesome time. And But this is the first time we're getting to actually chat face to face. So um, right on. I was listening to this record, and it's so interesting to hear how your compositions have just gradually gotten crazier and more over the top as the years go on. Uh, it's so incredible to listen to. I mean, like, I'm sure you're tired of talking about the Hydra guitar and everything, but let's talk about it really quickly. Um, so this, so Mitch, in case you weren't aware, he has this new guitar called the Hydra. And it's basically three in one, but it's not just three guitars. You got a harp, you got a bass, you got a guitar. It's talk, Steve, talk about this whole contraption because it's madness. Well, you know, uh, you, you might have you noticed I have a little bit of an affinity for the absurd. <laughs> yes. I, okay. And I love that. You know, I like thinking outside of the box. It doesn't seem like I'm thinking outside of the box. It just seems like, hey, that's a good idea. Yeah. You know? that's, all, that's all I look for. Hey, that's a good idea. That, that's all you need. That's enough. And when you uh, can focus on one thing, basically, that you love your whole life, you're going to you're going to get deep. You know, you're going to you're going to expand your horizons in it from wherever you're at. And I've just been so lucky because I've I've got these great opportunities. I work with these great companies. They're all interested in 
kind of what my crazy ideas are. And, uh, you know, I've had uh, multi-neck guitars in the past, but I never felt like I really utilized them in a piece of music appropriately. So that was the first thing I thought. I want to I want to re- and I thought, well, I've got the heart guitar, but that's that's played out. I don't want to wear a big red heart on. <laughs> you know, why not? A, <laughs> big heart on. <laughs> I don't want to get on stage with a big red heart on. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in any event, I've had all sorts of triple necks and stuff like that, but I couldn't really use them as a centerpiece in a sense because my idea was to have an instrument that can do the bass. The, you know, not the drums and the keyboards. I don't go that far. So <laughs> I just I just like thought I want to do that. I want to be able to create something that really looks at, Well, first of all, I knew that whatever it is that I was going to write for this crazy guitar, it had to be an enjoyable piece of music without knowing Mm. anything about it you know or seeing how it's performed you know yeah because or else then it's just a gimmick you know it's just shtick at that point it's a shtick you know and i gotta be really careful of that because i do shticky things you know and (laughs) I, i try to infuse them with musicality though you know and that's what i did with the hydra so i wanted a guitar that had a bass neck a seven string and a 12 string and these harp sympathetic harp strings. And I didn't know what it was going to look like. You know, I just knew it was going to be kind of bizarre, but I was into steampunk fashion at the Mm -hmm. time. So this is like four or five years ago. That's how long it took, you know? Wow. So I sent Ibanez all this steampunk uh, kind of visual stuff and my idea and the designers in, 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 in uh, Japan, just went nuts man you know they're like this is like their food crazy idea from vi yeah let's do so it. So it was they, good nuts they were like oh yeah let's do this they weren't like what oh, is this guy thinking oh no this is their meat you know this is their <laughs> food you know these guys they're usually kind of uh, you know conservative and stuff they just threw all that out the window and they sent me this rendering this you know drawing of the hydra and i couldn't believe it i, I thought you're gonna build that <laughs> you know and <laughs> It took about four years, you know, going back and forth. And uh, wow, at some points they they came (coughs) with like a cardboard cutout. And, you know, (laughs) so you can adjust, you know, well, I think this will, you know, and and also um, at one point they uh, came with a a, a prototype. We actually have a prototype of the Hydra. You know, it's Mm. not it's not completed. It was for, you know, figuring it out. Trial and error. Should I put the pot there or? Yeah, but finally I received the guitar and I, I just was stunned. I was stunned and I was uh, um, in, in fear. <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm, how am I, what am I going to do with this thing? You know, I, I mean, I had the, the visual sort of, but when you go to apply it, it's like, uh, you know, what, did I, well, what yeah. was I thinking? It's like, how, how do you even gonna, hold the thing up, you know? How am I going to hold it? How am I going to, you know, find the independence to make a melody sound seamless with all this other stuff going on. Mm. And uh, then, you know, the little voice came in and said, shut up, you got this, you know you got it. Just do it, just start. Just start and sh- just shut up and start, you know? Yeah. So I said, okay, sir, you know, and I just kind of, and then it just developed. Hmm. And that's the teeth of the Hydra. 
You know what you got to do? You got to get one of the ZZ Top rotating belt buckles, and that's I, how I you thought do. about that. <laughs> <laughs> I might poke my eye out, though. Oh, that's hilarious. It's crazy how you talk, I mean, like, with these things, and then when you're going to record the song, I mean, Teeth of the Hydra, it's the, it's the opening track on the record uh, in Violate, available now wherever you get your music. Uh, you're listening to that, and how do you compose a song around that? Is it the guitar that influences the piece of music, or did you have music that you were looking for an instrument to execute it on? Well, a melody is a melody. Mm-hmm. You know, and yep. that has the, for me, that's always the, the idea, the wacky ideas. They might come first, but sometimes. But the melody for me has to be strong and it it, it has to capture the, uh, you know, the, the emotional dimension of the song, right. you know. So yeah. I had the title Teeth of the Hydra. Teeth of the Hydra. The, I got the Hydra, and then I got the teeth. Of what? So what does that mean? What is that? And then I just started building the song around the image I wanted to create of the performance of the instrument, you know, and, and kind of what the instrument meant. So I kind of had the melody, but I had to navigate the movement because when you listen to the, the song, all the bass, all the seven string, the 12 string, the harp, it's all one performance. So huh. the way I did it was I started with a drum beat. I just put a scrap drum beat and that and then I just like started with the bass neck, you know, and then the 12 string and I created like a little pattern. But I was conscious of leaving spaces for the melody. And when I was performing the melody, I could only pick like one note every now and then because the, my arm was doing other stuff. Right, so I had to right. make an elegant sounding seamless melody that didn't sound like it was being disrupted by all the other movement of the bass and the twat you know mm. and it was really fun you know it was it was really because you know when you when you start to when, when you just start to do something that seems impossible uh, for you it doesn't seem impossible anymore and i knew that it was possible i've seen other people do that kind of independence <clears throat> and i i ju- i knew i didn't believe I knew I could do it if I just put the time in. Yeah, you, know, you, you gotta you gotta commit to the time. But the, but it's not a commitment because when you have a vision of something that's really exciting, that there's no there's no discipline required. Right. You know, you, you just find yourself doing it. With, you know, and mm-hmm. then finally, when it started to come together, I'm telling you, man, it was heaven in a cup. Yeah. I can't tell yeah. you the feeling of performing a piece of music especially on the hydra when you when you hit that sweet spot when you hit that ultra zone you know where you're completely connected you don't have to there's no thinking going on that's the hard part you know do you have the fan blowing on you while you're recording or is that only on the stage well if i don't have the fan i don't do anything (laughs) (laughs) it's funny talking about the hydra because i mean you know you're steve Vai. you can get anything you want basically made we were interested we were talking to um uh Brent Musk, uh, Brent, uh, jeez, I was thinking of uh, Brent Musket from Brent uh, Musket? no, wrong, wrong Brent, wrong Brent. Uh, <laughs> Brent, he used to play in Shania Twain's band, and he was talking about they were in rehearsals with Mutt Lang, and Mutt was like, "Listen, there's this song transposes three separate times, and if you if you bar it, it doesn't have the same sound." But it has to be open strings. So he's like, what if I just go to one of the guitar companies to get them to make us like a three neck guitar and have them all separate tunings? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, it's, any means necessary. Any means necessary. Well, look, that's exactly what you did with the Hydra. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. 
And you know, I, I have to tell you something. When when Mutt Lang and Mutt Lang is a very powerful creator, man, very mm -hmm. talented. Oh when yeah. He said, yeah. "Why yeah. not get a three neck guitar and tune them differently?" He that he had access to that idea because he knew it was possible, and because he's such a great creator, he said, "And we're going to do that." Yeah. You know, we're just going to yeah. do it. So what most people would, if they can come up with that creative idea, because I know what he's talking about. You don't want bar chords on a, on that kind of a song. You yeah. got to have these big, rich, open chords. And he's that specific. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I talk to people, you know, Phil is a, is a good friend of mine. And, you know, he, he Mutt is just like um, forensic you know yeah and he, he where most people would say that might have come up with the idea they would say hey that's a great idea but we really can't do that because and then they fill in the blanks yeah. where mud says that's a good idea and i'm doing it right, right. there's a complete opposite <laughs> approach and then he figure he figures it figures out how um I just want to go back to the beginning and, and, and creativity because, you know, you're sitting on that bus, you're creating and you're always having something. Is that sort of your process where there's just always something going on in your mind where it's just 24 hours a day and you just you can't stop? Not at all. No, no. I, I, I if I'm not doing it, I'm stopped. Really? I, I yeah, I practice wow. presence. You know, I practice non thinking awareness. Because that's that you know, and from that comes right. the inspiration for uh, a comes a, a real inspiration for an idea, and then when that idea is there, then it's like you know, space docked. You know, you just right. you're on it and you're doing it. But when I leave it, I'm not doing it. Mm. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in my immediate environment. My attention is completely with the person or with the event or with the world. And then when it's with the music or the guitar, that, that my practice is to give those things my full attention and, and not let my mind wander into places that it doesn't need to go. <laughs> wow, it's interesting that you're able to just fully unplug like that. I'm yeah, not mo most to, Most artists don't work do that. On. Uh, right. Yeah, well, that's what I work on. And because that enhances your creativity because there's people think that they, uh, well, you have to examine what's going on in your own mind. Is it creative and exciting or is your mind being pulled in different directions based on, you know, things you don't like? Yeah. Things you're, things you're criticizing or blaming or that you don't, you know, that you hate. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Hmm. Um, I would rather be thinking about music than politics. <laughs> well, yeah, right. so would I actually. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You you have been in, in uh, situations where you've had uh, songs with vocals with uh, David Lee Roth and Whitesnake and others. And then, of course, the instrumental stuff. Do you approach the songwriting process differently when you know there's going to be vocal and vocal melody as opposed to just instrumental? Or is it just I do my parts and yeah, other people can figure out the other stuff? Oh no! You every song is specific, you know, okay. and you want to decorate the song with the appropriate, you know, if it's a frosting, guitar, you know, yeah, <laughs> frosting, very good. And uh, um, if it's if I'm a like if I'm going to be working on a song with a vocalist, it's a whole different brain muscle than right. an instrument, you know, performing an instrumental song. Of course, there's similarities. A melody is a melody, you know. Right. Yeah. But when a singer is singing, you know, the guitar, you, if there's going to be a vocal on a track, I'm definitely 
looking at that dimension of what I'm going to contribute. Okay. What was the writing process like with you and David Lee Roth? Because I listen to some of those songs and it's like, uh, one of my favorite songs is Stand Up. And I always felt like that was sort of like Def Leppard, excitable, inspired, kind of like groovy, kind of fun jam song. But the riff on that is so cool. Like that could be a Steve Vai solo song. But then you got Dave on that with that hooky, catchy chorus. And it, I just, I'm just curious, like what was the writing process for something like that? Like, well, it, it, it uh, you know, Dave had a, a process mm-hmm. that he was comfortable with and it wasn't too unconventional. And basically, I would write riffs or the, the guys would come in with riffs and song, sometimes full songs. Usually what I would do is is demo like a song, you know, very simply, maybe with the band. And then uh, or somebody might like you mentioned stand up. That was written by Brett Tuggle. Mm-hmm. You know, he just he came yeah. in with the keyboard part and I, I created a guitar part for it. Yeah. But um, and then Dave would take it. Dave would listen and. You know, I there was something similar that I noticed in him as when I was working with Ozzy. And that's that these guys know what they like and what's mm-hmm. right for them, and they know what they don't like and don't want, you know? And that's refreshing because, you know, I, you're not messing around with anything. And I was in Dave's band, so right. I wanted to make music that he felt comfortable, you know, writing his lyrics on and stuff. And he was a great... Uh, instinctual kind of a songwriter for his style because I would you you'd present a song mm-hmm. and he'd listen to it and maybe maybe he'd change some things or make some you know with the band why don't we try this or you know go to this here but usually it, it was laid out and then he would take a cassette of the song and go for a ride in his really cool Panama car in the Panama car it has to yeah, be the Panama know. car yeah right. you know the red one yeah that's right yeah and he would have his driver and he'd just drive around and write lyrics to listening to the music and, and write. So you lyrics. guys would make a music bed for him and then he'd try and apply melody and lyric to it. Yeah, that's pretty much the process. Wow. Because yeah. I, I, th- I think about that. I'm like, I can't see Dave sitting in the studio and say, like, oh, yeah, that's a cool guitar riff. Let's turn that into a song. Like, it's interesting that you say you oh, went no, in. Oh, no, he does that. He did that, too. Yeah. There was one song, Damn Good. Mm. Uh, that was on Skyscraper. That was a riff that I had, and I, I wasn't even going to play it for him because I didn't think he'd be interested in it at all, you know, because it, mm. you know, pl- it was something I was earmarking for a solo record, and I played it for him, and he goes, what is that? You know, like, uh, let's let's work on that, you know? So I was like, "Wow, great. You know, I didn't <laughs> think you'd, you'd like that, and, and you know, and uh, he said something funny. I'm trying to remember. Because that's damn don't, good. Don't don't something to the effect because everything he said, well, not everything, but he was pretty witty. Yeah. Uh, he said, "Don't uh, uh, don't blame me for not putting a song on my record because you wanted to put it on your record." Something like that. You know? <laughs> and uh, so he that was a surprise, and he took that and he wrote a beautiful lyric, and he would also make suge- certain suggestions, you mm. know, like. For instance, you know, ain't talking about love. Yeah. That melody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That that was Dave, and and wow. Jamie's crying. That was the, you know, the guitar melody. Yeah. From what I understand, I wasn't there, but you know, that that was Dave. Wow. Mm, according wow. to Dave. <laughs> according to Dave. And Ted Templeman. 
Yeah. Well, there you go. You got to love Ted. <laughs> yeah, Ted's not going to lie. <laughs> um, let me just quickly ask you about your time in in White Snake because I'm a huge White Snake fan, and according to the story, you didn't get it because you were uh, Steve Vai and you were in. The, you got it because Dave saw you in the movie Crossroads and went, "I like this Jack Butler guy. I should get him." I mean, is that story real? I mean, is that sort of a, he saw? Well, that, yes, it is, and it's so interesting because <laughs> just yesterday, David and I still we we email, we text like two or three times a day sometimes because we're kind of like, you know, we send funny things to each other. Yeah, his Twitter's out and of control. Here, and he sent me this this right here, and it says Levi <laughs> versus Ralph Macho epic guitar battle. Uh, when I saw this, I knew I had to work with Steven, and that was something he posted. So wow, yeah, yeah. Well, well, that's great. Um, that that crossroads moment, though, we always talk about the gear you use, but you talk about uh, at other times about how that was a dark place for you to get into that character. Explain that to me. Well, he was the you, devil's henchman, Mitch. Of course, you have to get. Into I know, a dark but place. I mean, it, it's a character. I mean, but you actually had to go there. You had to get into some kind of strange well, atmos. Well, here's the thing that I discovered. Uh, I, when I was asked to do that part, I thought, I, I said, no, thank you. I'm not an actor. I don't know how that, you know, right. how that works, you know. And, uh, but then they asked me again and I read the script and I, I realized that I, in a, in a sense, I am an actor in that I'm a performer. A, a, a particular percentage of what I do on stage is acting. Mm -hmm. yes. it's the way it is for a lot of performers, you know. That's what I prefer. Because I like being a performer. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I do my best not to allow that to interfere with the, you know, the music, obviously. But I like, I like merging them both. So what I noticed when I started doing Crossroads is uh, an effective actor becomes the character. And that's why it's so difficult to be a great actor because you need a real depth of personality, you know, a real depth of sort of um, embracing a personality and becoming it. So when I decided to be Jack Butler, there, there, there was elements of that that were absolutely real that were in me. You know, right. I, I was I could be a really I mean, back then, at least I, I know I could be a really dark person, massive ego, yeah. just totally. Uh, Jack Butler, you know, the guy that has no care for anybody or anything except himself, you know. And when I started playing the part, I, I could fall into that space. But whenever you are acting anything and you become that, you're making, you're creating a, a, um, a vibration in yourself. Right. Yeah. So I had to vibrate a very dark character. And it was right. fun. It was fun at the time. But it was caustic too to my just sense of well to your well-being that's what, that's yeah, that's what I'm I, not that guy you know what i mean yeah. and you sort of oh. took it away from the movie set and you were like oh i'm dark right now and you just went oh well ah. the, you you really start it really starts affecting you when you go into the world after being in a hip movie and people <laughs> recognize you and they expect that they believe that you're that guy right that dark character you know so i think that's one of the things that david saw also <laughs> i see you on the street that prick steve vi there he is 
Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, go for, go for it. Well, it's, I, I, here's a funny thing talking about Dave. I mean, back in the day, Dave had uh, the infamous insurance policy on Little Elvis, and you just had to postpone your tour because of making pizza. Do you have a Lloyd's of London uh, uh, policy on your hands, Steve? <laughs> wait, wait a minute. Go back. What, what what was the first part of that? Because I didn't know anything about that. So apparently back in the day, David Lee Roth had an insurance policy on what we now know as Little Elvis, which I guess it was his cock. Yes, that was that was that's oh, that's the rumor. That's the rumor. Do you know anything about that? <laughs> no, that never rubbed off on me. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> uh, well, uh, no, actually, I do. There was a period of time. Uh, where I did look into insuring my hands Mm -hmm. and there was Lloyd's of London, but they were exorbitantly expensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would like at this time back then, if I would have done it 30 years ago, (laughs) I mean, it was (laughs) over a million dollars a year. Oh my God. Yeah. And I didn't need it. You know, I mean, uh, I didn't need it. Who, you know, you never know these things. Yeah. Right. Making uh, pizza at home and you got to cancel a tour. I mean, you never know. How do you like that? You know, and, and let me explain that because you know how press is. They, oh, yeah. They take something and they run with it. OK, <laughs> so I had torn uh, uh, tendons and ligaments in my shoulder that took years to develop. Mm-hmm. And uh, during the lockdown, I got it fixed. <clears throat> Sorry. Right. <laughs> I got right. it fixed and uh, it was great. I, it healed and then I um, I made inviolate. But. It healed, you know, in two, three weeks after a surgery like that, you know, I could play the guitar, mm-hmm. but it, it takes a year to really heal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, six months into it, I'm, I'm thinking I'm doing great. And you forget that you got to you got to be careful. And yeah, I was I was pulling uh, not pulling a pizza out, but putting it in. And, you know, like you get those big spatulas. <laughs> yeah, you got the pull. You got the pizza. play. Yeah. yeah. And I put the flour on the spatula, but it was really <laughs> sticky dough. And I had Billy and Greg over. I was making pizza for them. What? And, nice. Nice. And I, so and you I, weren't I, eat them and smiling then? <laughs> no, I wasn't smiling. I didn't realize I really did it. What happened was I, I just got really hard and it kind of <laughs> tore one of the uh, retour. Oh, man. Uh, but it wasn't it wasn't so bad that I couldn't consider. Yeah. Well, I still made the record, but it wasn't so bad that I couldn't consider doing the record. But <laughs> right. I mean, the tour. But then as I was starting to prepare and like, you know, the Hydra is just one of these, you know, it, it aggravates it. Yeah. It just got worse and worse to the point where, uh, you know, the doctor said, it, it's not going to get better. You're going to go out to do 250 shows and you're going to be in trouble. Get it fixed now. It's a simple fix and then go. So, yeah, it was aggravated by the pizza incident, <laughs> but it was, uh, well, it was kicked off by the pizza incident. But- and that pizza sucked. It was terrible. It didn't taste very good. Oh, nice. Dang. <laughs> Dang. Too much well, hydration robbed, in the dough. I, I got robbed. <laughs> you know what? That's a song inspiration right there. There's something. There's something musical there. The, the pizza incident. <laughs> I got yeah. robbed. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, have to, I'll have to play it on the accordion, though. Yeah. Uh, and, and Violet, uh, brand new records available. I don't know how much time we have left, but uh, just real quick, I want to talk about gear uh, really quickly. Everybody talks about Eddie Van Halen and his infamous brown sound and, you know, he's the king of tone. I've always found Steve Vai's tone to be incredibly pleasurable to the ears. And and I, I, ta- I describe it as pleasurable because it's not... have to do something about that. <laughs> but uh, I describe it as this, as pleasurable because, I mean, I, one of my favorite songs of yours is Building the Church. And you listen oh. to that melody and the tone is just so it's like it's like liquid sugar. 
Like, it just flows over the ears so smoothly, but it's still dirty and distorted. Uh, God, talk- you're making me randy now. <laughs> I know. And, and Liquid Sugar, what a great album title. Liquid, that's a great right? song title. Yeah. 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 But talk about, how your, talk about how your tone has developed over the years. I mean, what's the biggest difference between your rig now versus, say, you know, the recording the, the first couple of records? Well, you're always chasing that. You're going to uh, you're going to chase that your whole life. And every now and then you meet a little plateau and you go, hmm, yeah, OK. Mm-hmm. But then you go, OK, how can I? And there's so many ways to dimensionalize your tone. You know, people believe, well, there's external ways that can be very helpful, like mm-hmm. the kind of amp you use, how you mic it. So many people don't understand. Um, I mean, I'm, I mean, engineers do, but. If you're a guitar player and you're recording something, you put a couple of mics up, you could be completely destroying your sound with phasing and these kinds of things. And then there's things that you can add that really dimensionalize it, such as uh, organic room, like the real room that the Mm -hmm. amp is in. You know, you bring that in, everything changes, you know. And synthetic reverbs, they can can do it, but they don't... I like the real room, you know. Right. And then what, you know, one of the things that I do is whenever I record a guitar part, I always record the DI signal, the direct signal that comes directly out of the guitar. Oh, wow. Because then you can take, I take that and I put it through this little box called a Mm reamp that brings the line level to the point where then I take that and plug it into any amplifier I want and record that amp. So on any given song, such as Building the Church, there might be two, three, four amplifiers oh, wow. supporting the sound, you know, and you pan one of them in one way. But you have to be real careful with phasing. They have to be perfectly, perfectly aligned. So that's like some of the things that I I uh, learned as I went. Mm-hmm. And it always helps. The greatest uh, advantage that you can receive is to work with really good people, mm-hmm. you know, and watch them, you know, and just watch them and ask questions when you can. That's how I learned everything, working with Frank. You, you, you couldn't sit and ask him too many questions. You just had to observe. Yeah. And, and the tone is going to continue to develop. Right. Because you listen to a lot, of, a lot of the 80s rock guitars, and everybody wanted this, like, super over-the-top, distorted, like, razor blades in your ear, aggressiveness yeah. tone. But your tone, it was just, like I say, it's so pleasurable to the ears. I mean, you listen to, you know, for the love of God or, you know, I would love to. And it's it's got that aggressiveness and the attack. But your your melodies that you perform over it, they're not overly distorted, but they are at the same time. Like It's like I can't describe the sound. Yeah, there's a that's something that's deliberate. And, and it it has to do with um, the fact that I stand on stage for two to three hours and bombard people with melody and solos you know so <laughs> yeah, if that yeah. isn't a pleasant sound you're gonna have a lot of uh you know unhappy people so i always uh it's 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 very interesting because every time i choose an amp there is that that sort of uh friendliness that mm-hmm. i'm looking for and it's i, I never if i show up to a gig and i can't bring my rig because it's like a one-off and there's another amp there a conventional one of the ones that you mentioned that has all the razor blades in yeah. it you know like a marshall or something jcm 800 from sir <laughs> you know they're fantastic amps for a particular use but if when i show up and i see it for me i'm like oh yeah 
You know, I don't I don't play them well. They don't sound, they're nothing. I can't I can't deliver. But that goes back to the old question now. Is it the player or is it the gear? Well, it's always the player because it's the player that chooses the gear. Yeah. If you're hearing something, the play, it's always the player because the player is chasing the tone that's right for them. Mm-hmm. For them. And and you will navigate to those things that your inner ear is telling you sounds good for you. And then, you you, you know, all of the tone is in your head in that respect. Yeah. Then, of course, when you reach for the tone knobs or you choose something to enhance that tone, it's still coming from your desire, you, what you're reaching for. Yeah, and a vision. lot of people don't know what they're reaching for, but a little secret. If you imagine what you want it to sound like, and if you can, if you can imagine what you want it to sound like, and I'm not necessarily saying, I want it to sound like Edward Van Halen or something like that. You, but yeah. if you can actually hear it in your head, actually hear it as opposed to saying, I want it to sound like something but actually hear it what you what you're hearing in your head is your tone do you yeah. know what i'm saying yeah you yeah that and then you externalize it by finding the things and of course the gear and all that has something to do with it of course but it only has to do with it because you chose it yeah well you know it's like look at def leppard and doing hysteria i mean they could have used any amp in the world that went with the rockman because it was right. it was right for it was right for for the for the record and for the music. Yeah. The record. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, uh, Steve, you've uh, you've said a lot. There's a lot to digest. We've learned a lot today. Uh, I, I talk a lot, <laughs> and, and and we could easily do another half hour. But hey, yeah, whatever. Well, yeah, I got press all day, so I got to jump. We're gonna let I you know, go. Cheers. Uh, and Violet, uh, brand new record. Pick it up now wherever music is sold, and catch Steve on tour later on this year as well. Uh, everything you need to know, just visit vi.com. It's all up there. All right. Uh, right Thank you so much, guys. Merci bien. It's great you. to chat. We'll see you soon. Oh, you know what? I wanted to mention one thing. Yeah. Yes. My my this first U.S. leg that I'm doing. I didn't book any Canadian shows because I always come back and do a second run. Mm -hmm. And usually when I book Canada, I'm like, you know, you pop in here for a little for a few shows and then you go across and you pop in. I wanted to cover like every territory in Canada that I possibly could. So I'm reserving that. And when I do come back, you know, next year, it's going to be. And and it'll be easier with the COVID restrictions to not go in and quarantine yeah. and come out and quarantine yeah. and go in and go do the whole thing. What a pain in the tuchus. <laughs> yeah, I'll say. All right, gentlemen, thank you so Cheers. much. All right, Steve, we'll see you later. Bye bye. An all new episode of the Mitchell Fun and Jeremy White Show Tuesday at noon. Available wherever you stream.